welcome to Destination Leadership, the podcast for people interested in diving into the worlds of inspiring leaders to learn from them. I'm your host, Katrin Grunwald, founder of The Globe Team, organizational development consultant, and coach for first-time leaders. Welcome to the second episode in which I speak with Sarah Gewertz, a wonderful guest who's an HR director in the high-tech industry in Silicon Valley. I had the pleasure to meet her this summer when I was in Northern California. She's been working for the past 20 years as HR director and in the area of organizational development. In our interview, Sarah and I talk about activities on how to build trust within your team, how Sarah believes in empowering people to learn and grow, and very concretely on how she does it. We also talk about the changes she has seen amongst requirements for leaders in the tech industry in Silicon Valley over the years. And we talk a lot about the notion of belonging. This includes, for example, how through encouraging diversity of thought, leaders can create an environment in which people want to stay as they feel they belong. Really interesting food for thought, I find, and I hope you enjoy the interview. I'm here in Northern California, north of San Francisco, and sitting here with Sarah Gewertz, who is um, a friend of a friend who was really recommended to me um, when I said I'm traveling to California. Is there any inspiring leader I should meet? So it's a great pleasure, Sarah, to welcome you to the podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's um, for the listeners and for me, because we just recently met, it would be fantastic to hear a bit more about yourself. So if you could present yourself and also what you, yeah, what kind of jobs have you been doing? What kind of teams have you been leading sure. in the last years? Sure, sure. Uh, so it's very nice to be here and thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I've been doing uh, senior HR director type work in organization development for about 20 years. I've worked mostly in high-tech, also in aerospace defense, and a little bit in nonprofit. Um, my work has always looked similar. The structure or the, 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 the size of the organization might be different, the domain might be different, uh, but fundamentally the way in which we've structured it is typically the same, which is I support a senior leader and their direct staff going horizontally. And then I have staff, or in some cases where it's a smaller organization, I then also cover the verticals. Um, in larger organizations, which I've m spent most of my career in, I usually have a team, and that team takes care of the vertical. And they ask me, you know, to, if they ask me to jump in, I do. And then I jump right back out in order to empower them. Uh, but fundamentally, my job is to support the senior exec and their staff that supports the, that reports into them. And we focus on, uh, you know, structure, culture, leadership and talent, uh, everything HR and organization development. And so I've been doing that for about 20 years, and uh, I, every day is a new day, and I love my work. 
Yeah, I'm so curious to hear about the different high tech companies and the different、mm. teams you've been、mm. leading in those different high tech companies. So let's jump right into the, your very first team.、Mm. How old are you, or what kind of situation was it in、mm. which you got this challenge, possibly、uh, to to lead your first team? So you know, I guess I have to say that a little bit of a caveat is that. HR is not a place that typically gets hugely invested in to have a big team,、uh, depending on what size organization you're in. So, I started off my career、uh, in a high tech company locally here, which is a global company,、um, and but the direct reports were you know less than five.、Uh, but still, it was my entree、mm-hmm. into、uh, having a team, and.、Um, You know, the most important thing I guess that I learned at that point was one:、uh, there are there are things you have to learn. I mean, fun, the fundamentals around how to lead a team, but then also、uh, paying attention to the humanness of each person on the team and their、uh, what they're able to bring to the job.、Um, I learned a lot from that first role, and then. Uh, you know, it just kept building. Now, again, the teams were always pretty small.、Um, in my in my current job,、uh, that's where it really expanded over the last several years,、um, where I have about twenty three ish people on the team, about five di- six about six direct reports, and the rest are indirect reports. So, what we call dotted line and solid solid line. And these are individuals.、Um, the, the solid line are, you know, combination of HR managers and、um, HR business partners, and then the dotted line are those individuals who are across the globe supporting either、uh, a center of excellence, let's say leadership or comp and ben,、um, or talent,、um, or they are leaders,、uh, HR leaders in a country that our team. Uh, has employees in, and they, you know, they know the country law as well as they're involved from an organization development perspective. So we all meet、uh, once a week. But that this sort of jumps ahead. But you could see from the beginning where it's just a handful、mm-hmm. of direct reports. It's mostly individual contributor work. Twenty years later,、uh, really, you know, working with a, a global team and、um, very complex.、Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would be interesting for me and possibly for the listeners to see how this、uh, increase of complexity. How did you adapt your behavior to it, or what were very specific things that you did with your team of five people, and that you do completely differently now that you have like twenty three overall? Or、mm. well, I I think I mean I, I evolved as a person.、Um, you know, I've always believed that if you Do this kind of work, and I'm in human resources, right?、Um, in organization development, you have to continue to do your personal work.、Mm-hmm. You can't expect your clients to do their personal work if you're not doing your own personal work, which then affects the work. And so, over those last twenty years, I've done a lot of,、um, you know, deep work,、uh, whether it's cross cross cultural anthropology work、um, and studying outside of my master's、mm-hmm. work. Or most recently,、um, doing an executive coaching program, which really just、um, deepens deepens、uh, how I show up with my team. And so, what's different from just a handful to twenty-ish people 
It's, um, I think, really honoring the gifts and talents that each of the team members brings forward. Uh, they have a different perspective, so that's the whole the diversity and inclusion piece, really uh, allowing for different kinds of thought to come forward and welcoming that in a safe space uh, so people feel heard and mm -hmm. um, acknowledged for their skill. The other thing that I'm doing even most recently is uh, looking across the work and know, and you know understanding each person and what their dreams are, right? In, in addition to what their regular work, you know, job is day to day and giving them stretch opportunities connected to what they're most interested in and maybe where they have um, an edge or uh, a place that's uh, an opening that they, they need some additional support and growth opportunity. Cool, you mentioned so many things that, <laughs> <laughs> that I think are based on my work that I do with leaders and teams, I think are so important. So I'd love to dig deeper, for example, on the topic of making people feel acknowledged, making mm. people feel seen, making people feel that they have a contribution to make that is mm. valuable for mm. the team. Mm. What is something concrete, like a concrete example of how would you interact with people concerning those mm -hmm. topics? Well, for example, I mean, right now, the company that I currently work for, uh, there's a big um, change going on in terms of a big um, reflection on culture, right? And what we know about culture is that it's not just about how we behave at work, but really our thoughts and beliefs that are driving those behaviors. And there's a, I have one team member, a uh, gentleman on my team, who uh, loves the topic of culture and has actually been involved at the corporate level uh, uh, effort. And, and he decided to step off of that after we had had several conversations. He decided that it was time for him to step off of the culture, the corporate effort, but that inside our particular business unit, we were also pushing and um, exploring culture. And I asked him if he would take the lead um, and around the culture for our business unit. Typically, it would be something that I would do, but I really have been pushing over this past year to really um, empower my team to take on additional stretch opportunities. And I said, you know, I'm giving this to you and really looking forward to hearing your thoughts and ideas around this. And my expectation is that you come back to our global HR account team to talk about what you're learning and what we need to be driving with our business leaders that we're all working with, wherever we happen to be in the globe or whichever part of the business we are, which he has agreed to do. So that's, you know, one example. Yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. Because the, the topic of trust, and it starts, in my personal belief, it starts in oneself so that you feel like you can take on a stretch assignment, mm -hmm. for example. Those were, were the ones where I personally grew the most because someone mm -hmm. trusted mm -hmm. that I could do it. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, what other examples do you have in this area of really trusting your team, mm -hmm. that empowering your team? What are things you do maybe on a regular basis or in, in one-off occasions? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, on the topic of trust, so I studied with uh, a, a scholar 
um, many years ago. Her name is Angelus Arian. She's since passed away, but she was a cross-cultural anthropologist. And what she's talked about, about trust, is trust is the opposite of control. So when we really can let go of that control, and we all maybe have our own <laughs> challenges with control and realize that we don't really have control over anything, um, that, that really the, the great opportunity for growth is trust for both self and others. Um, so so how do I, how do I um, encourage or enable trust mm-hmm. um, in my, in, with my direct reports and, and indirect reports? I think it's, uh, you know, I, I make it a point to meet with uh, the entire team every week, and we do it at a global friendly time. You know, we have people in all of the regions. Mm-hmm. So it's making it so it's available and accessible to people in Malaysia and in India and in Israel um, and in the U.S. and in Costa Rica, for example. So that's one way to build trust is they know that I care about how the time of the meeting will affect yeah. their personal lives. I'm always um, very open to, you know, if they've got kids to get to school um, or dinners to be had or, um, you know, they have personal commitments that it's okay, I will work with them. And fundamentally, family is number one. So that trumps all, right? Um, The other way to build trust is to present, you know, what's going on, let's say a business update, uh, because I attend all of the business meetings with my, uh, uh, the executive that I'm uh, her business partner. So I share that information, but then I also open it up for questions. Anything on your mind? What's on your mind? What are you hearing? Did I say something that, you know, maybe, you know, you have some questions about or concerns about? Anything is fair game. And I, I say that every single time. And so the amount of dialogue is pretty robust. I also say that, hey, if you're going to come to this meeting, I expect that you have a voice. And I want your voice to be heard because each voice is really important. So really um, opening it up so that people feel welcome to share their thoughts and ideas. That builds trust as well. Uh, the other way to build trust, I mean, I, I, we have this global, what we call an account team meeting, but I also meet with each one of them once a week or once every two weeks. We just meet one-on-one, and it's a, a chance to get to know one another and what's on the other's mind, uh, but also maybe the challenges that uh, that person might be facing with the business unit or in that country or with another leader, you know, and to be able to talk it through in a safe space. Uh, also, I don't hide anything. So while, of course, you can't share everything sometimes, um, you know, they, they know that they can trust that the information I'm giving them is the most up-to-date and the most that I can share. I don't hold anything back if I don't have to hold it mm-hmm. back. Um, so those are some ideas. Yeah, really cool, very uh, specific examples. And I love this idea of uh, having meetings around a global friendly time because it's such a, when you think about it, it's very simple. It's really responsible respecting people's lives around the world and things like that I I can really imagine set the foundation for them to increase further trust it's not easy when Mm -hmm. you're talking about Malaysia you know you know I could start at 7 a.m. but it's really I think 10 p.m. where they are so it's late for them Uh, but I can tell you 
you know, in this example of Malaysia, our HR account team member who's there, she's committed every single time. She will stay, she will talk, she will participate and contribute. Um, so I'm very grateful for yeah. the team, actually. In how far have you had um, mentors or role models or people where you have seen them show such a committed and really empowering behavior towards when you were a team member like do you have anyone in mind mm -hmm. when you think of personal mm -hmm. role models in that regard i do actually when i when i first started in high tech um so this is like 20 years ago and uh, we're still friends to today she's since retired um, she was somebody who uh, had started in the mail room of this global multinational company and um, you know grew to be you know head of HR wow not for the company but for the business mm -hmm. unit and you know very down to earth because she had grown up in the company and very supportive of up-and-comers and very willing to move what who she saw maybe as high potential uh, to move them quickly through the you know the opportunities and uh, she was always there if I wanted to talk with her. Uh, she made herself available and uh, she had very little judgment about what I did or didn't do. She left a lot of room uh, for me to consider what I was doing and how I was doing it uh, and left room for me to reflect on it myself. And I think that was a great gift. Um, when you leave space for people to come up with their own solutions or to have their own reflections, mm -hmm. I think that's how people do grow. It's one yeah. way people grow. Yeah. Um, because you have to, it's almost like the stretch opportunity in conversation, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is what we hope to gain from executive coaching, right? Where yeah. you really, you do the inquiry such that the person on the other side is reflecting and finding their own answers as you go along. Yeah. So. In how far has this, let's say, rather coaching mindset also shaped you as a leader? Because I know it from certain situations, sometimes, um, let's say like within situational leadership, when someone is not so um, familiar with certain tasks, for example, or knew that they might need more support. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to people who are quite experienced, giving them more more freedom. In how far do you adapt your behavior to mm -hmm. the team members in your mm -hmm. team? Somebody wonderful that I met who explained this in such a way that was so simple and yet so profound, uh, which was um, as an HR professional who knows also organization development, you are asked to be the expert, the consultant, and the pair of hands. And sometimes you're one of those three, sometimes you're two of those three, or all three. And sometimes you're all three in the same conversation. And so, you know, I learned how to coach from those different angles, you know, since I, since I really started this work. I mean, you, you learn about it um, in school, right, um, philosophically um, and from a book but then you practically learn it as you meet these different leaders and depending on how open they are and what they want and what you have to prove first before you get to the next stage. Uh, but it's recently, actually in the last couple of years where I 
started studying uh, evidence-based executive coaching that I took a shift in the way that I was coaching, which is really, um, I talk about it as instead of running in front of always the leader, like I need to be ahead of them. I need to, I need to know what they're going to be thinking. I need to, you know, be ahead of them in terms of the solution that I'm going to offer um, before they even come to me with the problem. Uh, a lot of pressure on yourself. (laughs) Um, But anyway, that's sort of how I had been thinking and how I was operating for a long time. And then I realized through the evidence-based work is that you really, it's really about walking with versus Mm -hmm. running ahead. Mm -hmm. And when you walk with your client, you know, you're the leader that you're supporting, it's a much different experience for you as the coach, as well as them as the client. And Quite frankly, I mean, I can apply it even in that expert mode or the consulting mode or the pair of hands mode. If you walk with, it's a much different experience. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a potential for a much deeper experience. Mm -hmm. To me, it sounds like it's really a mindset shift from, um, yeah, walking in front or and then walking with which might also have to do with your values. What are values that are important to you for you to show when you interact with your team or your, mm. your clients? Mm. So some of the values that are really important to me that come to mind when you ask that question is, uh, first of all, fundamental respect for human beings. Uh, a respect for the business. Um, a respect for uh, people uh, doing work in a business. They may not all be doing it in just the right way, but nonetheless, they've all chosen to show up and they deserve respect. Um, also, uh, let's see. Yeah. And, and, and I have good friends who actually the friend who introduced (laughs) us, right. Um, this, this notion of, um, being human and bringing that to corporation. Mm-hmm. It's it's not always well received at first, um, but I think it's really important uh, because even though we're you know dealing with you know very high tech you know aerospace defense type products that you know can change the world, fundamentally it's people who are creating these things and 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 if you want to access their creativity you have to have a fundamental respect for who they are as human beings. Yeah, it resonates a lot with me. This idea of really respecting people for what they bring, mm-hmm. for who they are, and um, for, for potential that lies mm-hmm. in them mm-hmm. that could be mm-hmm. yeah, made for, of use for the company, but for society possibly as well. Yeah, I mean, in a, I think what you're talking about too is when when you access, when people feel that they've been they're being respected as human beings, it may unlock their potential. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, because fundamentally, we all have to deliver results when we're in business, yeah. right? Uh, but I think people are more free to produce results and are more inspired to produce results when their humanness is acknowledged. Mm-hmm. That's why I liked at the beginning of um, the, our conversation when you mentioned you also listen to people's dreams mm. because that has so much 
energy for mm. for for that could be unleashed and, and that could be also made of use for for companies if that goes in the same direction yeah it's uh it's pretty exciting you know when you can when people feel uh, valued and they're given opportunity while you have all these expectations of them it also unleashes innovation mm-hmm. right when when you've calmed the mind such that they're not worried about their jobs or they're yeah. not worried about you overly judge, judging them or they feel accepted for who they are and the ideas that they bring forward they may not all be you know acted on but at least they're heard mm-hmm. um within reason of course right um i think you unlock a lot of potential for people yeah I'd like to come back um to what you mentioned that you have 20 years experience in the tech high tech mm-hmm. industry here in how far have you seen this industry change over that period mm-hmm. of time also when it comes to interacting with teams I assume it has become much more global than it was 20 years ago but it's just a hypothesis I have so I'd be curious to hear in how far this change of the industry also had an impact that you've seen on on leadership on interaction with teams. Mm. Well, the the interesting thing is that when I entered at the industry 20 years ago uh it was still multinational, right? Mm. Still global. Um I think um perhaps what's changed is the expectation of the leader. I mean, they're under huge typically in the group the group that I work with But even as it trickles down, each leader is hugely responsible, right? They have so much they have to deliver and they're under so much pressure. Mm-hmm. So, I think what's changed in industry um there is I mean, a huge pressure not only on results for leaders, but also maintaining ethics. Mhm. And there's so much scrutiny on um ensuring that you are you know uh doing everything right as a leader in terms of code of conduct mm-hmm. etc and of course you know most recently with the different movements that have happened or you know it's so critical that again we treat uh people with respect and this notion of inclusion mm-hmm. has changed over time like you know when i started 20 years ago and even up to 5 years ago you know being in a meeting and you know you're on a video conference call you can see everybody and somebody puts you on mute there's conversation happening in the conference room you can see it happening but you don't know what they're saying and then it, it totally throws you off right it's yeah, kind of absolutely. like yeah if you're the only one in another location yeah yeah and it's kind of like when you're talking with someone now and someone's looking at their phone yeah. it's very hard to keep focus on what you're trying to deliver, right? Well, with the push on inclusion and and sort of micro inequities, mm-hmm. right? And the expectation, again it goes back to the respect piece that by by putting somebody on mute in a room it's not very respectful. Mhm. And so there's an expectation that you don't do something like that. Mhm. Um and if you are doing something like that, it's much more scrutinized than it was 20 years ago or even 5 years ago. So this notion of inclusion um both around ideas around the table to gender mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, you know, just having, you know, respecting the fact that there can be, that, that what you want is diversity of thought. That the diversity of thought is what's going to bring innovation. It's what's going to move a company. It's what's going to make a team feel respected and trusted. It's what's going to make a team want to stick with you, right, uh, through the tough times. That's, for me, super interesting because I'm German, so in, I've been mainly working for European mm -hmm. companies, and there the idea is slowly coming from, okay, diversity as the thing to, okay, inclusion. And there I perceive it, and there might be, of course, many different examples, but still as being mainly with regards to different gender or nationality or age groups. But the idea of inclusion, any kind of behavior, such as not putting yourself on mute if half of the team is sitting in another room, that this is seen as inclusion, as, as a kind of basic respect for everyone in the team, mm -hmm. is something I, I find, or listening to you, I find quite advanced compared to the experiences I've made in Europe. Mm. That's interesting because my experience with the teams in Europe, they're pretty um, far thinking. Mm -hmm. The ones that the teams yeah. that I've been in touch with. And that work that I work in my current company, I think I agree that diversity tends to be about gender. Um, for me, what what I've done uh, in my in the company that I work for now, and we have done for the last few years, is so anytime we're looking at succession planning mm -hmm. or high potential work or looking at our technical leadership pipelines, is You want uh, to consider diversity beyond, you want to consider gender because mm -hmm, yeah. we know that uh, females in that pipeline start to trickle off in the higher yeah. levels and you need to be more open and encourage women to stick around. <laughs> um, but we also want to look at geography as a diversity yeah. element as well as domain and thought. Uh, so having people around the table. So for example, when you're doing some hiring, um, you want to make sure that you're putting together a an interview panel that's diverse. Absolutely. And not Absolutely. just gender-wise, yeah. but yeah. in the way in they the, think. Yeah. yeah. Because that way you're going to get the best candidate yeah. too. Yeah, it's the diversity of thought yeah. that is enriching yeah. to companies and that hopefully more and more companies will see it. Yeah. You know, What's interesting is that the word um, has been shifting from inclusion to belonging. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and that was introduced to me uh, late last year, I think, or the middle of last year. I went to a conference and they were talking about this mm -hmm. notion of belonging, which I find, um, it really threw me off. I kind of had the reaction that you just yeah. had. <laughs> um, but it's a very meaningful word. Absolutely. Right? To ask someone, do you feel belonging here? Yeah. Do you feel that you belong yeah. here? And that's a very deep kind of question, yeah, it right? It can go all the way up to like identity level. Yeah. I identify with mm -hmm. this team or uh, this company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think if we think as leaders mm -hmm. that my team, I mean, it's a fundamental desire to belong. want that feel, yeah, that feeling absolutely. of belonging, right? So if we acknowledge that as leaders, then we try or we attempt to create an environment where people do feel that, right? Because I always say, you know, uh, everybody has, you know, they go to sleep at night, they wake up and they decide they can make a choice. Do they want to continue working where they're working or they want to walk somewhere else? Everybody has a choice. And so, but have I done as a leader everything that I can mm -hmm. so that people want to stay? 
And if they want to move their careers, that's a whole other story, and I would support that as well. But if they're wanting to stay in this company, in this team, do they feel that they, do they have a sense of belonging? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's a very important question. Cool. It's a lot of food for thought. <laughs> I hope for the listeners as well. <laughs> it sure is for me. I'd like to know, when you look back at those 20 years, mm. And you see yourself in this very first leadership role and the different ones. What is it that you wish you had known back then that you know now? You know, it's um, humility. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't all know everything. We, we can't. You can't get 20 years of experience without having 20 years of experience. So there's some humility in that. Um, And knowing that fundamentally people have a lot of potential. I don't know that I really realized that um, when I first started, but that as I grew and learned about myself and spent many years working with different kinds of leaders at all different levels, um, that there is this incredible potential for human beings and leaders And that there's this incredible spectrum where you are on that leadership spectrum of mm-hmm. super effective to super ineffective. Mm-hmm. And then everything in between. I'm, I'm not even talking about the ethical side, mm-hmm. but just the effectiveness of a leader. Um, you know, we've all worked for, I hope, really great leaders. And then to think about what is it that made them so great? And then to be able to think about those leaders that were not so great, what about them made them not so great? And then to apply those learnings to myself and how I lead. And hopefully, um, you know, teams and individuals feel welcome and cared for and supported and um, that they themselves see their own potential. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's something that when I work with first-time leaders, mm. I also, we, we do an exercise where it's about looking at great leaders you had, looking at leaders where you're like, no way, I don't want to behave this way, and then see how can you adapt, what can you take mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really make it mm-hmm. your own behavior yeah. that you want to show with your team. Yeah. I had a great experience that reminds me, um, that first company that I worked for, um, And there was this one leader who I really admired. What I admired about him was how he would get up in front of an audience and tell the story of the product, or really any story that he was telling, and he owned the story. Mm -hmm. He didn't look at notes. He didn't look at the PowerPoint and read off the PowerPoint. He, it came from his whole being. He owned the message and he spoke to the audience. And you felt like he was just talking to you. Well, how did he do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, very, it was uh, uh, very direct. He was, he made it personal. He, he shared stories. He made it real. He made it, ex- he made the information accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, he made himself accessible. Um, and he shared his humanness. And forever, I'll, I'll never forget the way he showed up. I mean, I can still remember it like it was tomorrow, yesterday, <laughs> tomorrow. And um, 
And I, when I get up on stage now, I think about him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Share the humanness. I love it. Mm -hmm. We have come to the mm. end of the podcast interview. Okay. And I have a last question sure. to my guests, which is, in an imaginary situation mm. where you have the magical power to decide on a kind on a leadership behavior that you would like leaders worldwide to exhibit with your teams what kind of behavior would you wish for don't ever think that you've arrived and know that we always have something to learn and from that people will feel that they'll feel that you are genuine and If people believe that you're genuine, they'll walk with you. Wow. Thank you. Come, thank you. For this very fun. genuine interview. <laughs> thank this was Destination Leadership, the podcast with inspiring leaders. I'm curious to hear what is it from this interview that you take away that has inspired you? Write to me via Instagram, Twitter, or get in touch via LinkedIn, all under my name, Katrin Hunwald. Also, if you have any feedbacks on the podcast or suggestions of leaders that have left a positive mark on you and you'd like others around the world to hear this inspiration too, I look forward to welcoming you again on the next episode of Destination Leadership.